Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our Vita podcast, where we're going to help educate military veterans and their spouses on opportunities in Web3. Our plan is to host a series of industry leaders, many of whom are veterans or spouses themselves, so we can learn about their journey down the crypto rabbit hole while understanding opportunities for transitioning veterans into space. My name is Chris Perkins. I'm a combat Marine veteran who spent 15 years on Wall Street before transitioning into crypto myself. And before we begin, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, who have dedicated their time and resources to make this podcast possible. Today, we'll be speaking with one of the most prominent military veterans in crypto, Anthony Pomp Pompliano, an Army veteran, co-founder of Morgan Creek Digital Assets, host of the Pomp Podcast, and an institution in the crypto community. Welcome, Anthony. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited about this. No, awesome. So before we get started, you know, wanted you to explain to the audience, you know, why did you choose the Army? And tell us about your background growing up. You know, what led you to that point? Well, I knew the Army was better than uh, the Navy, the Air Force, and a bunch of other uh, uh, various things I could have done. So the Army was obviously the number one choice. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, um, I was uh, in high school, and uh, uh, I was waiting to go to uh, college. I'd graduated in December of my senior year. I was going to go play football. Uh, and I basically signed up for uh, a reserve contract that would have allowed me to um, go ahead and participate in college, play football. And then afterwards, I would owe some uh, uh, some full-time uh, commitment. And uh, it was you know somewhat of a rash decision. I, I didn't have like a life plan. It's not like my entire family was in the military or anything like that. Uh, it frankly sounded cool. They paid a signing bonus. Uh, I thought it would be good from like a leadership training standpoint. Um, and so uh, I went ahead and I uh, signed up at, uh, at 17. And uh, from there, uh, everything was kind of going according to plan until I was a, a junior in college. Uh, I did not do ROTC uh, while in school and play football. Uh, and uh, I got a phone call, unit got deployed. Uh, so we got called up and uh, I was one of the, the individuals from the unit that, uh, that ended up deploying during uh, my junior year, missed uh, three semesters uh, and then uh, went to Iraq and came back and finished school. Well, that must have been a bit of a culture shock going from a fraternity party uh, one day. And next thing you know, uh, you're in Iraq. Uh, could you unpack that a little bit? What was that like? Yeah, uh, that's exactly how I usually describe it is, you know, when you're in college uh, as a 20 year old kid, all you care about is like, what's the party on Friday night? And uh, when I got deployed, I was uh, by far uh, one of the youngest guys. Um, I was fortunate that I actually uh, went with uh, a number of folks who were kind of late 20s, early 30s. Uh, some of this, uh, many of them, this wasn't their first deployment. Um, and, uh, you know, the culture shock was not only uh, kind of a college setting to, you know, violent combat, but uh, also, you know, these guys are worried about their wives, their kids, their mortgages, you know, all the things that as you grow older uh, become uh, important in life. Uh, as a 20 year old kid, you know, I wouldn't worry about any of that stuff. Frankly, I didn't even think about the idea that people had mortgages. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, it, it was a great learning lesson. Um, you know, very thankful for, uh, for the guys that I deployed with. They were uh, incredible in terms of kind of taking me under their wing um, and, uh, and was fortunate to come home safely. Are you comfortable explaining some of your experiences in Iraq? Um, you know, what happened during your deployment? Was there anything formative that really shaped you going forward? Yeah, I would say really there was kind of three things that um, I took away from it. Uh, one of them uh, was just seeing the, you know, kind of the plight of the average citizen uh, in Iraq. Uh, you see how these people live. You see uh, kind of what happens in a war zone, um, but not through kind of the military lens. You see it from uh, the way that their lives are impacted. And I think that 
uh, that for whatever reason, uh, really stuck with me of just, you know, you see a, a teenage kid and you're like, man, my life was so much different than yours. And some of it was just uh, the probability that being born in the United States versus being born in Iraq, right, which none of us have control over. Uh, so that, that was kind of a, a very um, big takeaway for me. Second was uh, obviously the, uh, the, the combat aspect of it. Uh, early on in deployment, um, there was a, uh, an incident. We ended up losing a soldier. Um, and uh, I, I think from that, my takeaway was uh, just, you know, life's short. And, uh, and we all end up at the same place, which is, uh, which is unfortunately dead. And so uh, that was uh, uh, kind of a big shock. And then the third thing is, um, you know, kind of contrary to the first point of once you're taken out of uh, the environment in which you're comfortable and, uh, and you enjoy, uh, you tend to miss it more. And so uh, another big one was, you know, I missed my family, I missed my friends, I missed uh, kind of the way of life that I had previously. Um, and so I, I just said to myself, you know, hey, I'm here, I got to uh, you know, do what I got to do here. Uh, but when I go back, I'm going to enjoy that much more uh, and, and kind of not take it for granted. And so, you know, when, when you're uh, going through those experiences, as most people listening to this uh, have, uh, you can go one of two ways. You can be like, man, this sucks. And, uh, you know, how the hell did I get here? And, um, uh, look at it as uh, kind of woe is me, or you can look at it from the perspective of, uh, you know, I signed up for this, it's my responsibility. Um, and what are the good things that I can take out of it? And, and fortunately, uh, I was able to come back and uh, uh, benefit from uh, the experience. Awesome answer. And, and I really appreciate, you know, your perspective on perspective, right? You come back and you look at things totally different. You know, we've had a bunch of folks on and um, you have a unique experience in that you were enlisted. Maybe could you talk a little bit about what it's like to be an enlisted soldier? And, and maybe, you know, I was a zero. Uh, I maybe had a little bit. I didn't work clearly, um, but but you did. So um, and in my experience, it was those corporals and sergeants that really, you know, called all the shots and really made all the difference in the world in combat and beyond. But we'd love to understand your perspective as an enlisted man. Yeah, um, it, it's funny because uh, when I signed up, uh, most people uh, in the position that I was in that went to college, they would have joined ROTC and. Uh, maybe I would have, maybe I wouldn't have. I, I don't really know, but it just wasn't possible given the uh, the, the workload schedule of school, uh, the uh, the Reserve and National Guard stuff, and then also playing football. Right, it just you know, literally football practice at the same time our OTC would meet in the morning, and so you just couldn't do both. Um, and so you know, I, I, I didn't have some grand plan of like, uh, hey, I, I want to be an officer. I don't want to be an officer. Uh, it was more so just out of uh, necessity uh, that I didn't do uh, ROTC. Uh, I will say that when I got uh, to Iraq, uh, you know, the, the, the jokes flowed perfectly of like, uh, I work for a living. Um, but but I think the, the thing that I really took away from it, uh, I'll never forget, um, we were there in, uh, in Iraq, we actually got a new uh, gold bar uh, who, who stepped in to, uh, to lead us. And uh, we had an E7 who essentially said, uh, in no uncertain terms, very early on to him being there, you know, here on base, you're in charge. Out there, I'm in charge. And uh, I, I remember, you know, kind of looking at it, and, and uh, the lieutenant was uh, was incredibly intelligent, uh, very hardworking, but just young, right? And kind of right out of school. And uh, and the E7 uh, was exactly what you expected. You know, rode his Harley on the weekend, had the mustache, and you know. He, it, you didn't want to mess with him. You didn't want to cross him. Uh, and so uh, I think that was one of the first times where, uh, you know, it really hit home to me of like, look, that there is uh, uh, experience that is gained uh, in kind of the, the classroom and training. 
And then there's experience that's gained uh, in the field. And, and obviously the best officers, uh, they start out with, you know, very little kind of field experience and they gain that over time. Um, so, so, so it's less about, uh, you know, one track uh, either way ends up uh, preventing you from getting certain types of experiences. It's just kind of time uh, actually in service and, and uh, deployed forward. And so in terms of, uh, you know, the advantages, I think, from, from uh, not being uh, an officer, uh, I was able to go to a couple of schools, most uh, uh, most notably the uh, the NCO schools, and uh, those NCO schools um, really drove a lot of leadership training. I think, uh, and it wasn't um, you know maybe the, the same thing that officers get, but but that leadership school, uh, especially the infantry leadership schools, I, I always um, tell individuals that like that's probably the number one thing I took away from the military outside of like the life experience. Uh, was going to that school, I think, really kind of changed the way that I thought about teams, uh, leadership, um, you know, kind of mission setting, planning, just all the things that we all know go into that. Um, and, and so if I had to pick like one thing I did in the military that uh, had a you know, profound impact on me uh, later on, it was those NCO leadership schools uh, that ended up uh, really kind of crafting a lot of what I, I ended up doing over time. I, I totally agree. Like I said earlier, in my experience, it's the special sauce of the U.S. military is our NCO Corps. I mean, that's what makes all the difference in the world. And I can't tell you how much I learned from NCOs throughout my career. Okay, so you come back from Iraq uh, and then, you you know, you finish up school. Could you tell us a little bit about your journey as, as you finish school and then you go off into uh, the world of business? Yeah, so um, when I came back, uh, I actually wanted to uh, to just go back as a uh, as a contractor, right? My my thought process: I was twenty one year old kid at the time when I came back, and uh, uh, I was like, man, they're gonna pay me, you know, two hundred grand to go back and do what I just did. Uh, you know, I don't gotta wear a uniform and and all the stuff that you know goes through people's heads. I was like, this is like you got this is gonna be easy life, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, if you're going with congressmen, as you know. Uh, kind of security detail or whatever. They're probably not going to dangerous places. <laughs> uh, so let, let's go get paid. Uh, but thankfully, my uh, my father was a little bit more intelligent than me. And, and he said to me, you know, get your ass back in school and and, uh, and finish up. Um, and so I went ahead, I did that. And uh, I, I do credit actually uh, going from uh, kind of, um, you know, playing football in school to being deployed was, was somewhat, um, you know, uh, of a shock, but, but also uh, in reverse, uh, being able to go from this, you know, combat environment, all males, you wear a uniform, you have weapons, the, the whole thing, to not having to go right back into uh, kind of the average workforce. I was able to actually go back and play football. And in doing so, uh, while there aren't weapons and, and kind of the, the downside is uh, potentially death or, or uh, incredible harm, uh, there was still this camaraderie of an all male, uh, you know, kind of team. Uh, there was training, there was build up to uh, certain events. And then um, th there's an element of violence still uh, kind of incorporated in that. And so, you know, in hindsight, that probably was really, really effective in uh, kind of a gradual step down for me uh, back into uh, being a 21 year old kid who, you know, uh, just had this uh, this life experience. Um, and, and as I started going back and, and uh, doing that, um, I eventually, you know, you, you, you can't stay in school forever. And, uh, my father said to me, you know, all right, you're not going to go back to the contracting thing. You basically have two options. You can go get a job or you can create a job. And just 
being somewhat of a contrarian, I said, well, getting a job sounds horrendous. Uh, what's this like create a job thing? And, you know, he was like, look, you start a company, but you got to have an idea. You got to build a team, you know, and he, and he started just kind of telling me the basics and then he sent me on my way. And, uh, and that's the path that I ended up pursuing. Awesome. So you jump right into the world of entrepreneurship as a founder. Sounds like it went OK for you. Can, can you describe how that transition went and, and where did it take you? Yeah, so uh, I, I basically knew nothing, uh, to be completely honest, and uh, made every mistake in the book. Uh, I started a, uh, a company. I had uh, three friends from high school. Um, every single thing that uh, I now know uh, you probably shouldn't do, we did, uh, including you know the way we built the business, the way we did sales, the way we communicated internally, the way that we hired, uh, et cetera. Um, but I was able to build uh, two separate businesses kind of sequentially. Um, they were both uh, kind of cash flow software-based businesses. Uh, we raised no outside funding for them. Successful enough, uh, but not anything that you know you're going to retire off of or, or anything like that. Uh, and then I, I think the uh, the big you know kind of inflection point in my uh, my business career uh, was um, after uh, selling the second business. Uh, I went ahead and I went to Facebook and I uh, was a product manager there. Uh, ran a number of different teams. Uh, and that was like a crash course, right? You know, again, kind of hindsight being 2020, uh, I was at a point where, you know, I knew how to start things. I don't think I really understood how to scale them. And uh, as part of that, uh, I could have chosen to go get like an MBA and, and kind of go to school. Uh, I probably would have had to pay for somebody to teach me in that environment. Uh, whereas Facebook was uh, very, you know, equivalent in terms of uh, I got kind of a crash course education and they happened to pay me. To, to give me that education. And so it was a very unique uh, experience. Obviously, at that point, uh, the business uh, at Facebook was scaling rapidly. It's 2014, 2015. Um, and, uh, and so it's pretty cool to not only be able to contribute in some way, but, but also uh, just learn from world-class operators on how to uh, build products, scale them, uh, drive revenue, et cetera. So there you are in the epicenter in the heart of Web2. And along that journey, you got into crypto. Can you tell us about your, your journey down the crypto rabbit hole? Yeah, you know, in 2016, I started investing full time. Somebody pitched me on uh, mining. They didn't even t really tell me kind of the the Bitcoin or crypto story. Uh, they were just like, "Hey, man, uh, my father had been in the data center business for a long time, and and uh, they said uh, uh, it's like data centers but on steroids. Uh, you know, would you be interested?" And so I looked at it, and I basically bought some mining equipment. Uh, to mine ether just because the cash flow looked like the math worked pretty well. You know, you spend, I think at the time, S9 was maybe like 1200 bucks or something. And you basically mine that all back in like nine months. And then from there, it's just cash flow. So uh, that was the thought process. And uh, I happened to do it kind of end of 2016. Uh, and as many people know, in 2017, ether went from like eight, nine, ten dollars to 30. And it was 100 by May. And I remember being like, what the hell is this thing? Um, and so started paying a lot more attention to it. Uh, and then I made, uh, made the genius decision to sell all the ether around 150 bucks. Uh, and, uh, was like, you know, I am the world's greatest trader. And then I watched as, uh, in pretty much in tears as ether ran to $1,400 that year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of those lessons of like, uh, you know, you, you never actually know everything you think you know. And so uh, being nimble and, and kind of open-minded and continuing to learn is, uh, is really important. But uh, it's a great way to, um, uh, to get started in the industry. The thing I'm taking away is that, you know, you're the kind of guy who learns something by doing it. And, and you know, when, when I talk to veterans, I always say, you know, you know, get involved, trade, you know, 
go open up a MetaMask account and, and start figuring it out. But it's like, put your hands on it. W- would you agree with that approach? Yeah, I think, look, it's like anything, right? Um, if you really think about uh, what goes on in, uh, in any industry, it's you can have the academic education and you can you know read all the books you want, all the articles, you can watch YouTube videos, you can do all that stuff. And, and that's a great way to learn a lot of things. Uh, but there are some things that you really can only learn by doing. And so, you know, if you look at crypto, for example, uh, let's let's talk about like custody. I always tell folks that uh, the best thing that you can do is to go take five dollars of Bitcoin or Ether and move it from an exchange into you know cold storage, then move it into a hardware wallet, then move it into a software wallet. You know, go put it in a multi-sig, and and you know if you screw up, uh, sure you lost your five dollars, right? You're gonna be mad at yourself. But that's the way you really learn how this stuff works. Um, and so what the ultimate kind of holy grail, I think, is to do both. Do the you know, kind of more academic uh, um, content and, and learn that way, but also learn uh, with hands-on experience as well. And if you can marry those two things together, it usually turns out pretty well for people. Got it. So you go from the Army uh, to becoming a founder. Then you go to, to, to Facebook. Eventually, you end up founding Morgan Creek where you become an investor. Uh, did your experience as a founder really shape your investment, you know, philosophy, and, and how did that go? Yes and no. Um, you know, my, my life is uh, is just a continuation of uh, of me kind of optimizing uh, short term, like what do I want to do now? Um, and you know, I've got plenty of friends who have these like. 10 year, okay, year one, I'm going to move to this city. Then year two, I'm going to get this job. Year three, I'm going to, you know, get married. Year four, I'm going to get a house. And I'm like, who are you going to marry? Like, I haven't met that person yet, but year three, I'm going to get married. Right. And, uh, and, and that just isn't, you know, really how I live my life. Frank, I'm probably not smart enough to do that. Uh, and so instead it's been, um, you know, what am I most excited about right now? And, uh, uh, investing came out of, uh, me not being excited about any companies to build. I, I didn't have an idea that I was super uh, excited about. And so I uh, started investing and, and frankly, started very slow. I uh, wanted to see if I liked it, kind of you know, walk before you run. And uh, fairly quickly, maybe the first you know, six, 12 months, realized, hey, I, I enjoy this. Uh, it seems like um, uh, I've got, uh, you know, I'm half decent at it maybe, uh, but it's going to take some time to really kind of figure it out. Um, and then uh, I think the, uh, the last piece uh, was um, I, I spent a ton of time learning from great investors. And so uh, initially that was me just reading content. Uh, so, you know, how do I get my hands on their biographies? How do I go and listen to as many of their interviews as I possibly can? Uh, and really start to understand like what makes a good investor? What are the skill sets? What is the personality traits? What are uh, the frameworks that they use? Uh, and then over time, as I got to know many of them, uh, either through the podcast or, or kind of personal relationships, uh, I just always thought to myself, you know, one, let me provide value to them. Let me go find great deals and, and share that with them. But two, how do I extract the learning? And, uh, and what you find is many of them uh, are more than willing and super excited about sharing those learnings. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've been you know, a great beneficiary of their kindness in terms of uh, sharing that information. Great. You mentioned the podcast, which is one of the, um, you know, best known podcasts in the entire space. Uh, what's a typical day in the life today of the pomp? Yeah. Um, every day is a little different. I would say the mornings are, are pretty structured. Uh, so I, I wake up, um, I write a, uh, a daily email that goes out to, you know, 200,000 people or so, 
uh, you know, have to take it somewhat seriously to make sure that uh, it's high quality. Um, but I write pretty quickly. Uh, I then uh, usually record uh, quite a bit of uh, content um, in the mornings. Uh, we do a, a live stream show um, that, uh, that goes for the podcast uh, kind of 11 to 1. And then after 1 o'clock, uh, I think of that as like that's when really like the business day starts. Um, and from there, that is, you know, meetings, calls, uh, really working on, uh, the business itself, um, and, uh, and all the investment activities and, you know, days can end six, seven o'clock days can end 10, 11 o'clock, right? It really depends. Um, and I've tried to get better at being, you know, more efficient in the afternoons, just given that, uh, I feel at a disadvantage. Most people have the whole day to work on the business. I basically have half a day. Mm-hmm. Um, so I should be hyper efficient there. And uh, when, when you think about that, um, you also have to balance it with, I prioritize my sleep. Yep. And so uh, if I'm going to get eight hours of sleep, I can't you know be up till two, three o'clock in the morning because I got to wake up the next day and do it all over again. And so uh, just as a forcing function to make sure you get a lot of stuff done in a short period of time. Got it. So as an investor and looking to the future, uh, what excites you about Web3? Are there particular verticals that, that make you excited? I think the whole thing, uh, which is kind of a cop out answer, but uh, if you think about the internet uh, adoption, um, it used to be a crazy idea to tell your parents you're quitting your job and you're going to work in an internet company or to invest in an internet company. Uh, isn't that where you know drug dealers and criminals they were playing on the internet? Uh, well, now every single business is on the internet, right? In some form or fashion, we don't talk about internet companies. If, if you met somebody like I run an internet company, you'd be like, what, "Did you just wake up from 1994?" Right? Yeah. Um, and, and so we just say, "No, I have a company." And so I think crypto in general will be the same over time. Uh, obviously, I think you know very highly um, of Bitcoin and kind of the the adoption there globally uh, over the next 20, 30 years. Um, I think there'll be other technologies that are very valuable as well. Um, and every company is going to have to figure this out. In some way, if you look at Facebook, it is now a crypto company, right? They literally changed their name to Meta and they're kind of going all in on it. Twitter, you can actually pay tips with Bitcoin, right? It's a, it's a, a Bitcoin or a crypto company. Um, and you can kind of just go down the line. Amazon, they offer, you know, blockchain AWS services, right? And so each one of these businesses is uh, starting out small. Uh, kind of one individual product line or, or kind of one idea. Uh, but over time, I think every single business is going to interface with these technologies. Uh, and if they are to become valuable, they'll kind of be extract, uh, abstracted away into the background, right? Uh, I don't think about the internet protocols I'm using when I go to google.com. I just type in Google and I ask it my question. It gives me an answer and I move on with my day. And it, it's now a, a thing that I do, you know, I don't know, 20 times a day, 30 times a day. Uh, but I don't think about what those protocols are. And so I think that's ultimately where uh, this is all headed is uh, all of us are uh, a little um, uh, maybe nerdy and that we enjoy thinking about the protocols and the token economics and you know all that type of stuff. Uh, but for, um, uh, for the average user who's going to adopt this stuff five, 10 years from now, they're not even going to know what that stuff is. They're just going to say, hey, this is really cool. I can accomplish you know, A, B or C task and, uh, and then they'll just move on with their day. What advice would you give Sergeant Pompliano uh, thinking about making a move in, into crypto today? Yeah, I, I think just go bigger and have no fucking fear, uh, which is uh, kind of, you know, uh, canned advice to some degree. Um, I, I think the uh, the advice to uh, an individual usually needs to be pretty personalized. Um, but what I have learned over time is uh, everything that you do is hard, like anything worth doing is hard. 
And so uh, rather than trying to build uh, a small company, build a big company, right? Rather than try to make uh, small investments, make big investments. Um, and uh, if you're going to invest your uh, most crucial, valuable resource, which is your time, uh, then you should make sure that the uh, kind of payoff at the end is uh, is worth it. And uh, as um, as we kind of think through, you know, how to apply that, it's true if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an investor, or if you're just a uh, a, a you know a manager or an employee, whatever. Um, every single person, I think, can kind of uh, uh, lay that into their life and just say, you know, am I working on the highest impact thing? Am I working on the thing that could have the, the biggest payoff? Um, and so part of that is you got to take risk. And uh, I, that's where kind of the no fear part comes, um, which is, you know, everything in life is a risk. Uh, but understanding what risks are worth taking ends up being a pretty important skill set as you get older. Got it. So, so you have your newsletter, you have the podcast. Are there other materials or other resources that you'd recommend for vets to, to, to tie into to get up to speed? I mean, Web3 is moving so people. fast. People, like everyone always, I think is like, oh, go read this book, go do this, whatever. I think the number one way to learn, um, you know, outside of kind of hands-on stuff is meet the people. Uh, and the beauty of uh, this industry is that people are uh, very, very welcoming. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many people who have DM'd me or emailed me or whatever, and I have ended up uh, doing calls or, or meeting with them in person or whatever. Um, and I know there's hundreds of other people who do the same thing uh, in the industry. And so that would be my number one suggestion is find the, you know, find five people who you're like, man, these people have their shit together and, and they seem to really uh, know what's going on. I need to figure out how I can learn from them. And that may be a email with three questions. That could be a 30 minute, you know, phone call. Um, but, but I think that's probably the, the fastest way to get up to speed. Totally. I'll, I'll give a shameless plug for our discord. Uh, we started a discord for Vita and the amount of technical expertise in this thing is unbelievable. So uh, if you're listening, uh, please connect to our, to the discord. We'll put it in the show notes and uh, there, there are a ton of people just willing to help. And it's not just vets, it's also non-vets. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about verticals and you said you're excited about everything. Uh, are you hiring yourself or do you know any folks who are hiring any, anything that's on the hiring front that you'd, you'd like to recommend or point out? Uh, we actually started a business um, that is fully focused on uh, employment and training uh, for crypto. Uh, it's not necessarily specific for veterans, but um, anyone who is in the crypto industry that's hiring, uh, we spend a lot of time helping them fill those roles. And so if folks just go to pompcryptojobs.com, uh, it's a job marketplace. Um, all the top companies have hundreds of open roles listed there. Uh, and, uh, you know, self-serve come in, you, you apply, uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty effective. Uh, more than one person a day gets a job through that platform. Um, and so, uh, I think that's probably the, the fastest way to see how, where the open roles are and kind of understand, Hey, these are things I'd be interested in how to apply. I mean, I mean, totally people are hiring everywhere, right? I've, we've got 120 portfolio companies or so, and, you know, even we're hiring every day. It's not easy. Uh, so definitely I'll, I'll check out that as well. Uh, Pop, any last thoughts for veterans? Any any words of wisdom, you know, as they transition and, and they're looking for for an opportunity in, in the space? Yeah, I, I would actually say uh, don't underestimate yourself, your skill set, and your experience. I, you know, I, I've talked to tons and tons of uh, of veterans, and um, uh, there's one conversation I had that always sticks out in my mind. I was talking to a, uh, a Navy SEAL sniper. And uh, he, he literally said something to me of like, yeah, but I don't have any skills. Like, you know, how can I transition? 
and I said, listen, man, you know, I, I just, I just met you. Maybe you're a complete asshole, right? Maybe, maybe you, you are an idiot, but if you're a Navy SEAL sniper, I can promise you that if you called up the CEOs of a couple of companies and said, Hey, I'm a Navy SEAL sniper. I'd like to go to lunch with you. Uh, or I'd like to take you to lunch. And, uh, uh, when I take you to lunch, I'll teach you everything I know about leadership and and uh, kind of the, the SEAL training and, and uh, sniper school, et cetera. And I'd like to learn about your business. And my guess is that you're going to have a pretty high hit rate of, uh, of professional CEOs that are interested in that lunch um, or a coffee meeting or whatever. And so uh, you may not have the experience or expertise from a business sense um, uh, or an operational role. Uh, but the, uh, the business world spends a lot of time trying to learn uh, about the leadership training, the teamwork, um, uh, and a lot of the skill sets that uh, military operators have. And so, uh, you know, don't underestimate kind of the value you can provide to uh, C-suite executives uh, from your life experiences. And uh, uh, one of the things that I've always found is uh, I think a lot of veterans try to go into like entry level roles. They basically say, hey, I just want to get my foot in the door. Um, but if you think about setting yourself on the right trajectory, uh, usually the best thing you can do is go right to the top, uh, go you know, meet that CEO, uh, regardless of how big the company is. Um, and if, uh, if you're able to provide them value, usually you can build a pretty good relationship there. Uh, and over time, um, you're able to, uh, to kind of get in the right role and, uh, and thrive from there. Awesome advice. Uh, tell people all the time, shoot high, make sure you're getting in front of the right hiring manager at the right level and, and things will work for you and, and find that senior mentor. Awesome. And, and how should people connect with you? Twitter's the easiest thing, just at a Pompliano on Twitter. Uh, I, I joke that uh, I read my DMs more than my email. So if, uh, if you need to get a hold of me, that's probably the, uh, the best way to do it. Awesome. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on today, Anthony. Discussion was, was really incredible. And uh, we're so lucky to have you as a veteran and a leader in this space. And again, I also wanted to thank our sponsor, Luca, uh, for doing what you do. And, and we're deeply appreciative of your support. For those interested in learning more about Vita, please connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter at PerkinsCR97. Thank you so much, everyone. See you next time.